All right, let's do this. Another episode of Keel Conversations. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it is my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game, personally and professionally. Today, I am chatting with Jessica, and she comes to us with a background in neuroscience, psychology, startups, venture capital, and mindfulness. She's really all about empowering entrepreneurs to better understand their unique wiring so they can achieve physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being. Who doesn't want that? I really want to thank Chris Messina, who was on episode 63 for providing this introduction. Jessica is an incredible human, as you will hear in this conversation. So thanks, Chris, and enjoy the conversation. One last thing before we jump in, for those of you who have tried or are using Keo, our mental fitness and journaling app, we are running feedback sessions May 9th. It's a first come, first serve thing. 30 bucks for a 30 minute phone chat, really to help evolve the next version of the app. So a huge thanks for grabbing a spot. If you're interested, it really means the world and um, really allows us to take the app to the next level. So thank you so much. you or what defines Jessica? <laughs> oh my gosh, you start with we the start easy hot. question, right? <laughs> wow. So who am I? You know, and I, I live in DC and it's a really bad sort of stereotype in DC that um, whenever someone asks who you are, the first thing that everyone responds with is what they do. And so I'm going to try to yeah. make that not my first uh, response after living in DC for 12 years. But um, so who am I? I am um, a devoted and dedicated advocate of people becoming their most authentic, most vulnerable, um, most healthy selves. And for me, that uh, uh, right now is very much taking the form of helping uh, the entrepreneurial ecosystem ensure their well-being. Oh, darn it. I kind of did answer what I do. But in terms of in terms of who I am or more broadly, um, I am um, I am a vulnerable, honest uh, uh, person who is is you know on on a path of growth like so many of us are. And I am um, you know just really a believer that what is most personal is most universal. And so, Ooh, I love that. yeah, and I think that there's honestly nothing um, that you can't create that won't resonate with others when you use yourself as the inspiration, um, because your experience is undoubtedly going to be the experience of others. Sure. Well, and thank you. And the reason I asked that question in that way is just is actually to avoid like I am Jessica and I do this. So <laughs> and you didn't do that. So, <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> um, Thank you for going through that because it really does provide, I find, the really the quickest route to, you know, what makes up a person, at least where you're at right now, because obviously you've evolved into who you are right. at this present moment. Um, and I'd like to talk a little bit about that because you have such a interesting and like unique story. I, I, I'd be, you know, 
really interested to hear like how how do you go from research mm-hmm. fellow to the startup world to venture capital like it, you know that's not the typical path yeah so i'd love to <laughs> dive in yeah and, and just share a bit about that that journey because it's so unique and i just love the work that you're doing um because of it you know and i think that um one of the the great many lessons that i have to learn in this this life is very similar to so many others in the collective right now which is um really relinquishing control of the idea of what you think it's going to look like and having a plan Mm. and, you know, sort of being on a set trajectory because absolutely every time that I thought, ha, this, this thing, this is it. Um, you know, it just turned out to be a stepping stone, um, on a much greater, um, and, and more, um, contradictory and and often dissonant um, and um, complex path. And I, I think that's something that so so many of us want to be able to say, I am this. You know, I have this self-concept that is so st- structured around being a teacher or a doctor or an entrepreneur even. Um, and yet there are so many nuances. And so um, my journey has been one very much of being receptive um, to both changes in um, my environment, uh, but also changes in myself and and really honoring and respecting sort of the calls that I'm feeling at different times to do different things. And so I started Mm. out my career, um, graduated uh, with a degree in psychology and neuroscience, mind-brain studies, um, thought I was going to get my PhD, started working at the National Institutes of Health as a research fellow. And um, while I love I love psychology and at my essence, consider myself very much a psychologist. Um, I, I didn't want to spend my life in a laboratory. So I left to join a startup. Uh, and then from there, um, uh, start- can I stop you right there? Oh, yeah. Just sorry for interrupt, but like, because I feel when you realize that you didn't want to spend your time in, in a lab all your life, like that must have been a kind of a big because you invested a lot of time oh. to get to that. Point, oh my right? god! I mean, I had worked. I got a four point in neuroscience <laughs> yeah. and got accepted into one of the top. I labs knew there were some the details behind that. Um, and and the epiphany literally, I mean, came in the form of like a like a panic attack, like my first ever panic attack one day in the in the. Uh, laboratory when I was just, you know, I, I really don't think I wanted to admit to myself how unhappy I was doing it. And for me, um, when I sort of ignore my thoughts and ignore my emotions, my body is super, super willing and eager to let me know when I'm not paying attention. Mm. And so that's, that's the way it decided to show up for me. And so after that happened, it was like, okay, we're not doing this anymore. We're doing something else. Interesting. So how did you, um, how did you, how did you transition? Like, were there some practices or tools or things that you were doing that, that helped? Because a lot, I think a lot of people, especially now are going through this, right? Yeah. Like there's a lot of messaging out there of, you know, you really you need to follow your passion and, um, you know, not necessarily just follow what your parents want you to do, for example, and, and come out of that. So I feel like there's probably a lot of people that can relate to, you know, your circumstances might have been different, but just even getting that to that end point of making the decision. Yeah. And I, I think what I realized was um, so much of my ego was really wrapped up in the idea of getting my PhD in neuroscience. And I loved sort of the 
respect that that elicited and just sort of the automatic assumption that you must be smart, you must be capable. And I, I really, in hindsight, it's so clear to me how that was so much a part of it. Um, but in terms of what I did to make that transition or to make it become clear to me what I wanted to transition into, um, I really did two things. For the first time in my life, I started um, blogging, uh, uh, not for any reason other than to get my, to transfer the energy of my own emotions out into something that was just outside of my physical body um, and found an incredible amount of um, just just relief, but also um, resonance with others through doing that. And, and in doing that, others were sort of reflecting back to me what they thought my strengths were. And so that was the other mm -hmm. big part, which was surrounding myself with people who um, really saw me for who I was and, and were able to say, you know, Jess, I, I, I see this strength in you and I think you should lean into it. And that's not to say we should defer to others or set our career trajectory based on what our boyfriend thinks or our mother thinks or our friends think. But um, it can be interesting using others sort of as a mirror to, to, especially when you're sort of in that moment of confusion or doubt, um, to help draw out some of the insights that you might not be able to see as clearly in yourself. Love it. And thank you. Thank you for sharing the detail. And uh, again, thanks for letting me pull you off the uh, pull you off the the momentum of the, the, the conflict. I totally <laughs> broke fine. you up there. <laughs> That's fine. Um, so yeah. So then how did, you know, you, you, I think we, where we left off is you, you entered into the startup world yeah. um, and then somewhere and probably in the venture capital world at one point. How, so how did all that come, come to life? Yeah. So very um, sort of synchronistically and serendipitously as I think the best things do um, very much like our connection. It was just sort of, um, you know, the, 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 the universe conspiring in my favor in a way, just landing in the right conversations with the right people at the right time. I mean, I had no, formal background in business or in startups or in finance. And so everything I had to learn myself. Um, but that was the fun of it, right? It was like the the real sort of um, building the plane in flight kind of feeling. And I love that mm. steep learning curve. Um, but for me, what was actually um, more of the lesson than actually learning how to work at a startup or learning how to work in venture capital was learning how to honor and respect myself and show up authentically um, in the entrepreneurial ecosystem. And I think that that was more than anything, the greatest challenge for me. That's huge. Um, and I feel like, you know, there's, there's talk of that right now and maybe it's just, I might be a bit biased just given the space that, that we're in, but I, I, you know, just doing the research for this, this conversation, I think, I think you had put this out somewhere from a, a study, but it was something like 70 or 75% of entrepreneurs, you know, are facing some sort of mental yeah. health condition yeah. compared to, you know, 48 or so, um, you know, that aren't entrepreneurs. Yes. So like there's clearly, and I get it because you almost have to be, be a bit wild to to jump into this world right of entrepreneurship because your analogy of the 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 plane right i've heard that from from reed hoffman as well of like you know basically coming off a cliff and assembling the plane on the way down and uh which is totally what this is and i'd add in to that once it's assembled and you start the engines you like fly into a flock of birds or something yeah 
and, and have to restart it. Right. Yeah. But so how did like most people plow through and then hit a wall or something physical happens? Like how have you been able to develop that self-awareness to realize, okay, I need, I do need to focus on myself at some point, or this is just, isn't going to work. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so even though, um, uh, so, and I'll sort of preface this by saying, so again, my current work is now um, focused on the mental health and well-being of entrepreneurs. So I started a company now, Wired This Way, um, in which I combine sort of this disparate background of, of science and entrepreneurship in VC to help entrepreneurs understand the way they're wired. Um, where I started by saying what's most personal is most universal is because when I myself was working in startups in BC, um, I had to hit a big time wall. (laughs) Um, And that was very much what um, inspired this. And it was sort of only after that I realized um, that I wasn't alone in this struggle. Um, And so when I was, um, working in, in VC. And, um, you know, I don't think even doing anything particularly um, extreme or bad or wrong, but really just not totally honoring um, how, again, sort of that authenticity of showing up as, as your real self of doing work that honors and respects your strengths of not doing things purely for the sake of ego, of, um, really sort of keeping your passions like under control and not letting them control you. Basically, um, I, the, 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 the way that this sort of, um, came to me was the first sign was I started losing my hair really quickly. And, um, that was kind of the big wake up call to me. And, and I later found out that this is actually common in both men and women, um, stress-related, um, whether it's hair loss or it's weight gain or it's hormonal issues or it's insomnia or it's all of these sort of psychosomatic or stress-related wow. illnesses. And, um, you know, at the time, especially being a woman in an entirely, you know, male-dominated space, what more damning thing is there? Uh, you know, and at the time I was 25 years old, um, then just start losing your hair. Um, and that yeah. was such a, um, very richly, um, symbolic and, and really kind of like spiritual existential wake up call to me, um, to Man. really start creating a very intentional alignment between, um, my work and my life and my, uh, soul, spirit, essence, sense of self, self concept, however, sort of you want to phrase that, but basically who I'm supposed to be here, you know, here in this life. And, and so that got me started on this journey of really understanding the idiosyncrasies of the entrepreneurial personality, um, to try to understand, okay, so on one hand, you have these entrepreneurs who are just potent, they're magnetic with their intensity and their energy. I mean, you walk into a room of entrepreneurs and it's just palpable. Um, That sort of passion, the optimism, the risk tolerance, the achievement orientation, all of these things literally radiate off of them with such a force that um, it's so clear that these people 
self-select into entrepreneurship because they have this different, unique wiring. And on one hand, it's an incredible strength. However, as sort of illuminated by my own experience, um, and I, I should say everything has since corrected. And fortunately, many of these stress-related issues are, are, are very temporary in nature and hair grows back and hormones rebalance mm. and all those great things. But um, you have beautiful hair, oh, Joyce. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> I, I really, you know, I do. I try to say nice things to it. Just <laughs> yeah. lots of gratitude um, for every last little pretty strand. So, um, so, but, but sort of on the flip side of this entrepreneurial persona that on one hand is so potent and powerful is also um, this tendency to do the extremes and to do the depths and mm-hmm. to do the highs and lows um, in a very extreme and often very sort of quick and unpredictable way. And essentially what it creates is sort of this jerkiness of experience that is erratic and irregular and can be very, very straining from an energetic perspective physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually on the entrepreneur's experience. And so um, that's very much the focus of my work and and my book now. It's so interesting because I've never really thought about it in, in that perspective. And it because it really is, you know, the very skill and that kind of unique energy and passion and drive and, you know, fighting through all the ups and downs and, and, and all of it is really, you know, that's obviously the asset, but that's the very thing that also takes us out if, if you're, you don't have the tools to, to manage it. Right. Yeah. Which is kind of what you're, you're mentioning. Yeah. It's, and at the time I didn't, I really didn't have the tools. I mean, I had a yoga practice yeah. and I, I mean, I actually really at the time didn't have much of a meditation practice. I tried meditating, um, uh, uh, you know, and thought that I was just like the world's worst meditator. And really that process forced me to um, to develop the tools and techniques to self-correct because I really had no yeah. choice. I mean, it, that, and that was kind of like the, um, you know, y- y- you kind of have that moment where you're like, it's going to be, it's going to hurt if I stay here. It's going to hurt if I don't stay here, but it's probably going to hurt less if I try to grow out of it or grow past it. So, um, sure. and that was, that was ultimately the choice. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'm glad yeah, I'm, I'm glad you did that cuz uh, you know, it's it's resulting in in a lot of great initiatives for for others so that hopefully they don't uh land up against that wall. Like even for myself just it, and our whole team and and I I've I've had certain practices like this for probably 10 years, but I've probably f- five time or 10x those practices just to launch, you know, Keo. Yeah. Um, which is wild and, and even crazier that the more like probably the last five to six weeks, you're the third person, third entrepreneur that I've spoken to that has had like serious physical, um, effects from, from just, you know, burning out or yeah. stress or whatever it is. Like you, you, it was hair loss. There's a guy yesterday told me about an, he lost an eyebrow and there's another mm. girl lost her, all her sight in one Oh eye. my gosh. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Like these are so the, you know, the research, uh, but our like validating so that just lies. They are so, so strong. And it's so, I think it's actually so cool how um, our bodies are like, you're going to listen to me no matter, you know, it's like, if yeah. you're not going to listen to all of these other signs, um, I'm going to, I'm going to make something happen that forces you. And I, I really think it creates this amazing sort of almost like, 
existential imperative, right? Where um, something happens, you can't not address it, and it forces you to grow. And I also think, and, and part of sort of my thesis, hypothesis, belief set is that entrepreneurs, even though um, they are resilient and they are strong and they are courageous and all these things, I also think that they're shockingly um, sensitive. And when I say sensitive, I don't I don't mean weak. I mean they are very tuned in, tapped in, reactive. I think their nervous systems, their physiology, their emotions are are very sensitive to their environment, their emotions. And I think this sensitivity is on one hand a great gift because those who let the world affect them and let themselves be affected by the calls of their spirit or their soul or their essence or whatever you want to call it, their higher self, um, they're the ones who create great things. Um, that that sensitivity is the source of all creation, truly. Um, but at the same time, that sensitivity also has to be honored and respected in order to be harnessed properly. And so I think what many yeah. entrepreneurs face is sort of they try to be so strong for so long, and yet their sensitivity is kind of or, or, or their sort of denial of or <clears throat> overriding of their sensitivities um, are ultimately what get their attention and result in burnout or exacerbated mental health issues or stress or insomnia or all of these different things. So I think a big shift that needs to happen for entrepreneurs is sort of this recognition um, that these issues are, are, are not to be stigmatized. There's nothing shameful about them. And in fact, it's because of these sensitivities you have that you also have the power and the abilities that you have. It's two sides of the same coin. I love that. And it's um, it's super interesting because what I'm seeing as well, um, and I'd love your perspective on this, but specifically on the venture capital space. But when you think of even corporations like, you know, the LinkedIn's and Slack's and, and, and I mean, Google's of the world where they are starting to focus on employee well-being, not just, you know, throwing in a gym at the at the office, but mental and spiritual and all of that. And then, you know, the work that you're doing with, you know, in the venture capital space, which uh, I'll just summarize, like basically, you know, helping those founders that are, are funded by those those venture capitalists really layer in um, mental fitness or mental health, uh, however you want to term it up. But I'm curious, Jess, just because I face this all the time, and I'll, I'll be dramatic just for to state the <laughs> point, but like when you go into uh, you know, a VC's office to talk about this, you know, how do you approach it? Because I know in a lot of different companies, if you were to go in and say, all right, we're going to talk about really uh, reducing all these emotions and getting you closer to your higher self and find your purpose and which it all links back to that. Right. But, you know, the next, the next comment is like, you know, where's your robe and why aren't you meditating right, on the right, top right, of a mountain right. or something? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, so basically in short, the question is like, what has the response been to you? Okay. Yeah. So, um, so to give a little bit of background in terms of like sort of what my work looks like right now. So um, I currently uh, um, do work uh, on innovation initiatives at the American Psychological Association in addition to the work I do with Wired This Way. But the work I do with Wired This Way, I work with um, 
startup founders, with VCs, um, with accelerators, with incubators, with co-working spaces, with all of these different key stakeholders in the entrepreneurial ecosystem to help um, not only provide content and resources and education for the entrepreneurs, but also to consult um, with the the um, sort of the other side of the table, which tends to be the people with the money. So that's the VCs or that's the, um, <clears throat> you know, these sort of um, aspirational players in, in the entrepreneurial ecosystem. And so when I first started doing this work, I really expected there to be um, a lot of pushback, a lot of confusion, a lot of resistance. Um, but what has been so heartwarming and fascinating is the fact that um, these VCs want this arguably more than the entrepreneurs do um, because, you know, not only do mm. they care about the um, most of them, at least let's, let's speak in generalities. Most of them care very much about the people that they invest in, but they also have a literal vested interest in the financial well-being of the company. And especially in an early stage, when you're investing in a company, you're ultimately investing in the person. Um, and so it's sure. interesting as all of these VCs provide all kinds of operational support from expert networks to marketing advice. And yet very few are actually offering founder support services. And so by, but by offering these founder support services, you arguably provide more of a ROI than even providing some of these more business-related services because you're going directly to the source. You're going to, you know, uh, uh, pay, you know, ground zero of the of the of the creative effort, which is the founder. And so, by addressing yeah. their well-being at the source, um, you can help ensure the health of, of of sort of the rest of the vine or the tree or the ecosystem. And so. Um, they have, you know, and, and obviously, you know, the hardest thing about offering services to anyone in the entrepreneurial ecosystem is um, lack of funds, right? Because these are the many of them are sort of um, they're they're on their way to making money uh, and yet haven't uh, haven't gotten there yet. And so, one sort of um, way to skirt around that issues is by working directly with the VCs, so that we can make sure that the entrepreneurs who really need these services are actually getting them. Um, sure. And it's similar. To, how do they pitch it to the entrepreneurs? How do the VCs pitch it? Yeah, like just to get the, the you know the buy-in. Because I mean, again, like I think a lot of the problem with with uh, especially giving these rates with entrepreneurs, like we don't even know, right, that this is happening until until you get to that physical exactly, wall, right? Exactly. So, um, yeah, so it's interesting because actually a lot of the resistance ends up coming on the side of the entrepreneur um, purely because, not because they want to be deceptive, not because they, um, you know, want to be stubborn, but because um, they feel, fear there's going to be this kind of retaliation for their vulnerability. The concern is oh, wow. I'm sharing my secrets in a sense with an informant who is being paid by the essentially the controller of my destiny, right? Because <laughs> for many yeah, for many entrepreneurs yeah, yeah. their VCs do have so much control over their their um, professional trajectories and so um, you know, there's sort of this unwillingness to be vulnerable on behalf of the entrepreneur, but but actually, um, 
vulnerability offers this incredible informational advantage for both sides of the table. Because when the VC permits vulnerability, they can address issues before they turn into real issues with financial repercussions. And for the entrepreneur, their vulnerability allows them to get the help, get the support they need. Um, and, and, you know, really the only thing preventing this mutual exchange of, of vulnerable expression of fears and challenges is this. Uh, to be perfectly honest, um, boys club, masculine archetype energy that is, is still pervades the entrepreneurial ecosystem that says things like boys don't cry or, and obviously not all, all, all entrepreneurs are, are men, but sort of this mentality of keep calm and carry on and keep the st- stiff upper lip and you need to, uh, you, you need to maintain the strong front for the rest of your company. Uh, and, and, and that just doesn't do anybody any good. And so that is fundamentally what needs to shift. It's not just entrepreneurs helping themselves. It's really changing that dynamic within the entire ecosystem. Totally. And I mean, just, just, just on that note, I mean, I, um, I recently joined what would have been mid year last year, uh, a men's group and like, I didn't even know these things existed uh, to be frank. And they're, they're coming up more and more and, really the topics that are being uh, discussed in these groups is exactly what you just said. Like we're, as men were typically raised, like, thankfully, I think, I think our generation will start to change that given the work that's being done. But like our parents and all that on my side, it's just, you know, that's just how, how men were raised, right? Like don't show emotion and like everything you just said. Right. So, and that's having, obviously we're seeing that uh, globally, you know, what, what that leads to in terms of workplace and so many different issues, right? Absolutely. Um, And that masculine archetype of the strong and sturdy entrepreneur not only affects men, but it also affects women. And to be perfectly honest with you, I think that so many of my symptoms and issues that I had were a result, a direct result of me, um, rejecting my authentic feminine power and really trying to fit in with the masculine energy around me. Um, because I was, Mm. again, you know, most more often than not, I was the only woman in the room. Um, and most of the VCs were men, most of the entrepreneurs were men. Um, and you know, I, I, was fortunately very accepted um, in in that environment, but I think that was largely because um, I didn't act like a woman. I didn't emote like a woman. I didn't express myself like a woman. And um, so on one hand, I guess it had some professional upsides, um, but it had some tremendous um, downsides for sort of my emotional, spiritual health, right? Because that's, I mean, it was just the definition of, of, inauthenticity. And again, that's not to say that I ever lied. Um, it, it often happens so accidentally. And I think that so many female entrepreneurs feel this incredible pressure to keep up um, uh, or, or overcome this already overwhelming odds that are against them in terms of receiving investment, receiving attention. And that's, that's not my perspective. That's just the research on who gets funded as an entrepreneur. And so, um, you know, they, they, they do sort of adopt these masculine tendencies, but at the end of the day, emotions are energy, our thoughts are energy. And when we keep that suppressed and repressed and denied, um, it's inevitable that 
it's gonna it's gonna come out often sideways. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a, that's such an interesting reflection on your part, and I get just hearing you play it back or or, or speaking in your words. It, I mean, it totally makes sense. Um, so thank you for sharing that. I feel like. Um, and I mean, and obviously this is still taking place. Um, it's, I think I'm, I'm personally hopeful that we're going through change, but I mean, we're, we're nowhere near uh, where we need to be. So um, thanks. Cause we hopefully at least everyone listening, uh, I think it provides a really interesting perspective. And I am so not trying to be fatalistic. In fact, I have nothing but um, incredible optimism about the next generation of entrepreneurs. I think that once we can start overcoming some of these sort of socio-cultural boundaries of the entrepreneurial ecosystem, um, so much of this will naturally fall into place. Yeah. No, and I, and I, I don't think you come off <laughs> as bad at all. I mean, it, it, it's it's just a great, great way to, to phrase it all up. So thank you. Um, I definitely like to move into a little bit of your mental fitness mm -hmm. and some of the practices that um, either you're doing or that, you know, you're offering up through the work that you're doing at Wired This Way and, and well, any of your work, frankly, right? Because I think these are the things that, at least in the realization that that, that we've made at, at Keo is like everyone has something that, you know, tips them off or that they can get started with and then and you know this, then it starts leading and opening up doors into this whole almost infinite uh, world of development, right? And, um, you know, just getting to a like flat out happy right. place, right? <laughs> Not that there are, you know, that doesn't mean that the the downs have been eliminated, but I just feel like we're, we're getting closer and closer to managing, um, managing emotion and processing in, in a maybe more healthy yeah. way. So... I know, I know yoga is a big part of, of your life. Like when did that come into play or, or how did it come about? Yeah. So, um, that, I mean, yoga first entered my life back when I was in college, but really from college until, I mean, really until like after all of this, this sort of episode of burnout happened, yoga was largely a, um, workout. <laughs> you know, it was like, yeah. it was the stretchy pants and it was the sweat and it, yeah, it was a lifestyle right, thing. <laughs> right. Totally. And, yeah. um, after sort of that episode of burnout and all of the realizations that came with it, um, yoga became truly a, um, a tool for me to help guide and move around my energy and to become more connected with my body um, so that there wouldn't be any of these surprises in the future, you know, to really develop that very intuitive relationship with my body, with my breath, with what's happening, with how, how, how can you move the stuck stuff around? Um, and mm -hmm. so I, I also teach yoga um, on the side, of course. Um, and so the, it's just become such a, a powerful, um, really meditative practice for me. Um, that has nothing to do with the, you know, sort of quick and fast sun A, sun B for those who are familiar with yoga, but really turning it into more of an intuitive dance where you can do the practice with your eyes closed and just sort of go inside. And that's very much the way that I like to practice and the way that I like to teach. Um, yeah. I love that you brought it up in that way, because I think 
you know, I, I can't remember who I was speaking with about this, but it, they really opened my eyes and you're, you're continuing to do that it, because like the, the actual poses in yoga are really what get a lot of the attention. Right. And it's just like a fraction of what the actual practice is. Yeah. Right. And, and it's kind of what you're describing about just like the workout or the lifestyle aspect of it. And I, I would fall into that yeah, as well. And exactly. It's yeah, and that, most of the practice happens in the poses that are least Instagrammable. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so it's it's exciting to to know that again, like we're just literally on the tip of yeah. such a a huge practice. Yeah. Um, and what about breathing? Just because I feel, even personally, I've been doing a lot of uh, experimentation with Wim Hof methods and, mm. and whatnot, and I, I I just speak from from my own personal experience because. I just feel like so many of us, and I put myself in this camp, don't even realize that we're not even taking full breaths throughout oh, the day. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's like, this is literally how we stay alive, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's not, so, it's like, not like, any yes. I mean, it's how we stay alive, but also on a sort of more um, refined level, it's it's how we indicate to our nervous systems that we're safe and that everything is okay. Um, and so when we're not taking big, deep breaths, essentially what we're telling our nervous system, uh, is that something's wrong, that we're in danger, that we're, that we need to, that we need to be in, in defense mode in fight or flight mode. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't need to talk about this because there are a bajillion in one podcast talking about fight or flight. Um, but, sure. but in terms of using the breath, um, Absolutely. I mean, I've been such a shallow breather my whole life. Um, and, <clears throat> you know, not only does yoga facilitate that breath work, um, but I now have a, a meditation practice and have for the past few years that um, is absolutely no chore. Um, uh, and in fact, sometimes I have to set reminders for myself to get out of my meditation. Amazing. <laughs> um, because it's so, I mean, it really is so incredible, the state of mind that you can get into simply using your breath. And, and I know that, you know, there's so much um, fuss and excitement right now around um, uh, the, the, the use of, of psychedelics, which I, again, I mean, you can listen to a million other podcasts about all of that. But I think that so many people fail to appreciate how you can reach such incredible states of mind simply by closing your eyes and breathing. Totally. Well, let's talk a little bit about it. I, I'm actually really interested in that. Like what, so the, the, the practice that you have to set a reminder to get out of it, like what, what does that look like? Yeah. So, you know, I, I and I love, um, apps like Headspace that, um, give people sort of the training wheels to get their meditation practice going. But ultimately, yeah. as with all things, um, everyone has to come to their own practice. And so sure. for me, um, my practice, and I find that when I sit down to meditate, becomes this extremely um, creatively productive exercise where even though I'm not sort of consciously thinking about things, I end up getting incredible insights and, and sort of downloads, if you want to call it that, in terms of my book or my life or my relationships. And it's, it's um, once you stop trying to get those insights and let those insights come, I mean, for me, my meditation has become not this practice where I'm sort of thinking about 
nothing or nothing's happening, um, but sort of where I can slow things down enough that everything is happening. Um, and you're able cool. to, I mean, yeah. And I, I, you know, again, I know everyone's experience with meditation is different. And that's not to say your meditation practice is broken. If you sit down and you're not getting colors and images and words and symbols and all kinds of cool, exciting things like that. Um, but I will also say that that was certainly not where I started with my meditation practice. So um, I, I actually really got into sort of that more um, creative um, uh, imagery-based, visualization-based meditation, frankly, by using some free meditations that I found on YouTube um, uh, uh, that are around visualization meditation. So I would listen to those before I went to bed and sort of fall asleep to those. And I think, I, I, I mean, I can only imagine that I sort of trained my brain um, to do those more creative forms of meditation, which I think for many creators, um, like entrepreneurs, uh, that can be a, a more interesting way of meditating than sort of the practice of thinking about nothing. <laughs> yeah, totally. No, I, again, it's just another great, perspective and I, I agree with you you know everyone needs to find what works for them and what resonates with them but again like you know for everyone listening it's called a practice because it you know it is a practice it's not a it's we evolve with it and I agree with you I, I actually do a lot of the visualization before I go to bed as well it's such a fun yeah fun way to do it and like your mind you know works on that while you're sleeping as well totally and it can give you some really cool dreams too you kind of prime yourself for for some fun dreams <laughs> for sure for sure so jessica i definitely want to get your three reflective prompts from you um i think as you know these these questions end up loaded in our app to help um you know just guide others that are using the app for with their own mental fitness so yeah. um again these these could be questions that you ask yourself on a, a frequent basis or during big life-changing events but just some stuff that comes to mind for you Absolutely. So one of them, um, and this is reflected in the um, pack that I created uh, for for the app on entrepreneur uh, well-being. Um, but the question is, how is this impacting my energy, or how is this? How, what is the state, the renewing or depleting state of my energy right now? And that has, for me, become a very embodied practice um, where. Uh, you know, we so often wonder, is this job right for me? Is this guy right for me? Is this girl right for me? Is this um, situation right for me? And yet, if we listen to our energy, if we feel exhausted or we feel energized, um, we really don't even have to think so logically about the answers because our, our bodies truly know before we know. So thinking about what is my energy telling me? Um, so good. Yes. And it's so easy. And it's so it's just so like, oh, duh, <laughs> which yeah. I love things like that, where it's like, oh, my God, this is like a built in compass that I just wasn't paying attention to my whole life. Um, sort of second and, and kind of related, but um, am I receiving validation for the journey that I'm setting myself on? And when I say validation, I don't necessarily mean are other people going rah, rah, or am I getting a bunch of likes on Instagram? But I believe that we are constantly attracting signs, people, words, situations that inform us whether or not we're on the right path. And so even if we listen to the words that we're using, even if we listen to 
um, sort of, are are the people around us excited about what we're doing? Are we Mm. sort of, are are these opportunities naturally coming our way that are set, you know, that are encouraging us to go in this direction? Or are we, do we continue to hit brick, you know, brick walls again and again and again? And that's not to say that every time you face resistance, you should stop. But, and this is, this is just my belief. So take it or leave it. I do believe that when we're on our path, things tend to naturally unfold and that that with people with situations with opportunities all of it um and then the third would be um what's preventing me from expressing myself fully vulnerably and authentically so um i think that there is absolutely nothing as i think i said in the very beginning of this conversation nothing that you can create that won't resonate with other people if you are expressing yourself fully vulnerably and authentically. And so if you are in a job, in a relationship, in a friendship where um, there is any kind of inhibition or restriction around that free and full um, expression of, of your desires, of your ideas, of your creations, then you need to, then something needs to change. Um, because ultimately all of this stuff, this creative energy inside of us is something that needs to be released. And when it's not released, it tends to backfire on the source. And so Mm. anytime that we are feeling inhibited from expressing ourselves, I truly believe, I mean, that's like a, it's like a clogged pipe in a way. And so one of the greatest things that we can do for our health and well-being is to make sure that we are navigating our lives in situations, in jobs, in relationships, in which there are open pipes, so to speak. Sure. I love these. They're so, what I like about them is that, you know, if you're not asking yourself questions like these, it'd be so easily, easy to be on autopilot and just plow through these type of topics that are, that are covered in these prompts. And they're, they're just a great way to stop that. And even like you said, they're easy, but they're just quick hits of micro reflection, right? That can really literally change your life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they have for me at least so far, and I'm definitely a work in progress. I do not have it figured out, but I do have some things that have worked really well for me. And, um, I'm just really excited to share them with others. Well, on that note, I mean, I have to say a huge thanks for, for this conversation and, and honestly for, for you personally doing the work, um, on yourself as well so that you can ultimately help a ton of people in this world uh hopefully not hit those walls and and not build up that energy that eventually attacks the source as as you say i I like that framing and honestly it's it's wishing that they don't have to hit the walls but it's also wishing that if they do they don't feel so alone and they, you know, I think that's just as powerful because sometimes, especially for experiential learners, like entrepreneurs, they could sometimes have to hit the wall, uh, in order to learn, um, from it. But, uh, but it's, it's just knowing that, you know, there's no, there's no shame and that the source of your greatest sensitivities and perceived weaknesses are also the, so is also the source of your greatest strengths. Love it. Well, thank you. And we'll, I'll make sure to link to everything in the show notes so people can find you. Um, is there any regarding the book? I know you're working on that. 
what's uh, anything you want to say about that? Yeah, so um, the book should um, hopefully be out um, within, I would say, within the next nine months or so. I'll have it okay. a closer date soon. Um, but other than that, um, yeah, if you provide a link to my website, um, you know, certainly reach out to me with any um, coaching, consulting, content creation needs for your startup, for yourself, for your VC firm, for your co-working space, accelerator, incubator, whatever it might be. Um, and I would love to support you. Amazing. Thank you so much and have the best day yet. And Mark, thank you so much. This has been so fun. <laughs> I just love any opportunity to talk about this. 